Hello, and welcome to the fourth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Sean Leischer. Sean is a Philadelphia-based dramaturg and producer whose work includes dramaturgy on productions of Clybourne Park, Smart People, and Raw Pasta. As a producer, Sean has organized play readings and new work festivals throughout Eastern Pennsylvania. He recently joined the team of the theater and education consulting company, Re-Theater. We're going to talk today about diegetic and non-diegetic music in plays and in musical theater. Thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me back on, Shoshana. I'm very, very excited. I, I'm a huge fan of the show, and um, being being so uh, entrenched in the new play world, I feel like I don't get enough chances to nerd out about musical theater with folks. So, um, yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we'll get right into our get-to-know-our-guest questions. Uh what musical has had the greatest impact on you? I mean, it's, it's a cliched answer, but it's Phantom of the Opera. Um, Phantom, uh, seeing Phantom of the Opera, it was just that, that, um, that moment of just seeing what it's like when music and the costumes and staging and the sets and the special effects, it's, it, it introduced me to the whole idea of musical as spectacle. Mm-hmm. And I think that just impacted my taste in musicals for so long. And I think I needed to go through that love of musical as spectacle before I could start getting into the more like the chamber pieces and like your next to normals and the smaller stuff. Um, but I, I mean, even though Phantom is not one of my favorites today, I don't think it holds up in many ways. Um, I still look at Phantom um, really even even in plays that I'm creating. I, I, I think uh, even in the plays that I'm developing, I, I think I look back and be like, okay, with this play, I want to make someone in this audience feel the amazement that I felt when I saw Phantom of the Opera for the first time and that chandelier crashed. And you know, maybe, I mean, we're not going to have an actual chandelier crashing, but if we can do that through some killer dialogue um, or really strong performances or just some really, really interesting character development and create awe, like create like what, like what in this play is our chandelier dropping moment kind of thing. Is there a musical you feel like you should know, but don't, or should have seen, but haven't? Yeah, and it was actually a musical that I probably would have seen uh, if not for COVID-19 and that's Carolina Change. Oh yeah. Um, I've definitely listened to Carolina Change, but I, yeah, it's just one of those shows where it's like, I should know this show. Um, it kind of seems like it's right up my alley. It's it's, uh, um, it's a small, intimate character study um, that really, like, uses theatricality with, like, the talking appliances. Um, and, I mean, I'm a Tony Kushner fan. I'm a Janine Tesori fan. Um, and, and, just, and just all the conversations that I've heard around it, I'm like, yeah, I don't know why I don't know this show. But yeah, Carolina Change was uh, 
one for me I was really looking forward to seeing, and hopefully I still can. What's your favorite musical that no one else has heard of? So I am going to recommend um, this musical called Seagulls by Beth Highland. And I'm just going to read straight off of the New Play Exchange um, synopsis of it. So Seagulls is an indie rock musical loosely based on Anton Chekhov's The Seagull. This contemporary retelling of the classic tragic comedy follows four friends and bandmates at a small college as they struggle to achieve artistic greatness, eh, artistic greatness without losing themselves or each other. Yeah, I believe it was produced in Chicago. Um, oh, yes, it was done over in London at the Octagon Theater, mm-hmm. and and it was part of the and it was presented by the Sound Theater in Chicago as part of the Steppenwolf's Lookout series. Um, and it's just it's it's like an indie rock musical, like like some of the synopsis is based on the Seagull. So you kind of got a bunch of sad characters that are really passionate about making art. And it's, I think it's a really killer score. I just love Beth Highland too. I think she's a really great playwright and a theater artist, and I want more people to know about her. And I also wish more, I wish more people would write musicals based on Chekhov plays. What's the most interesting thing you've learned from a musical? So I knew what musical it was, but I had to pick what lesson. <laughs> um, and I feel like my, my favorite musical of all time is Pippin. Mm-hmm. And there are just so many moments from Pippin that you can be like, uh, I feel like the most obvious one is looking at the number no time at all. And just like uh, taking the lesson of like getting on with your life because you don't have a lot of time. But I'm always so, and this this was very closely going to be an answer for a later question of getting to an emotion, complex emotional state. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always think of the ending of Pippin where like Pippin realizes that he's not going to go along with this path that's been laid out for him. Um, he's not going to go for the one great act at the end. Um, and even when everything's taken away, even when he's stripped down to nothing and all the lights and his backup singers and dancers are all gone. He's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's almost more, he's vulnerable in that position at the end. Um, when he's realizing that all of the things he wanted doesn't matter, but he's okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I, and I also feel like there's a moment too, where with all miss the man, uh, where Catherine has that realization too. Yeah. And I think the lesson that I condensed it down to, it's the power of the power of doing different than what others thought you would. Hmm. And I feel like both Pippin at the very end and then Catherine with I'll Miss the Man, like they, they really come into their own in the, those numbers where they realize, yeah, I'm not going along with the script anymore. Yeah. Well, I guess that leads to the final question what is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state that you didn't think was possible to get to i am going with the end of act one in newsies which is a santa fe reprise um if you remember that musical right before this moment they do seize the day the 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 newsies are doing their flips and their spins and their ballet then the cops come in beat the crap out of them. And there's this moment 
right before Act One ends, where Jack Kelly gets away from the cops. He has seen his friends. He saw Crutchy get beaten and taken away to the refuge. Um, basically, something that they've they have been building for for the entire first act. It fell apart. And Jack has this moment where he sings a reprise of Santa Fe, which is the opening number of the musical, which is this very hopeful, I want kind of song, just about his dreams. And right now, so Jack in this moment is basically breaking the fourth wall and he's asking the audience for absolution. He is saying, hey audience, things didn't go our way. Is it okay if I run now? Mm-hmm. Is it okay if I just pick everything up and go? And it's a moment where I don't, I don't think you get to ever see this, especially in a Disney musical, especially with your heroes. You get to see them vulnerable. You get to see them be really weak and really scared and realize that, and like, they're actually saying like, hey, I'm a fraud. So I love the last few lines of this song where he goes, he's, he is begging. He's basically talking to himself, asking his dream, just be real is all I'm asking, not some painting in my head. Cause I can't, cause I'm dead. If I can't count on you today, I got nothing. If I ain't got Santa Fe, like I said, you have this moment at the end of act one, which I think most people would look at end of act one and be like, Oh, it would be perfect to just end it with seize the day. And everybody is so happy and everything. But instead we just get this heartbroken moment. Let's move on to our topic, which um, we're going to be talking about, I guess this is a combination maybe of music and plays or musicals that um, use music that is more diegetic than, uh, or non-diegetic, more diegetic than non-diegetic. I always get those two terms mixed up. <laughs> so, like, what, remind me one more time. Diegetic is... So, yeah, diegetic is that it's within the world of the scene, I guess. Um, right. So, like, you're, um, you know, in, in the scene and, like, the radio's on and a song... Or, like, you're in the scene, there's, like, a, a band playing and there's doing a song... Um, I guess like an example from a musical that is mostly non-diegetic would be like an Annie when the, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, they're listening to the radio and, um, uh, never fully, uh, never fully dressed without ne- a smile comes yes. on. So like something like that would be like a, a song that's, um, diegetic, like it's in the world right. of the show, whereas like when and and i guess also like it becomes less clear when the kids sing it because right. you know well, and i think what um because that's a this is a one of this one we were talking about is i think cabaret is mm-hmm. a very interesting one to explore because yeah. it's like so much of those songs are in the world of the Kit Kat club right uh, so non-diegetic would be so diegetic would be like willkommen and cabaret and mine hair correct? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. non-diegetic would be your per, uh, uh, Perfectly Marvelous and the Pineapple Song. Right. Um, yeah, it's, I'm looking up like a, 
I guess textbook definition here, but source music um, yes. is is what they call it. And it, yeah, it, it's right. It's it's something that we studied in film. Uh, I, I got a film degree, so it's something we studied of just like it, basically if you can see where the music's coming from. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good way to look at it too. Um, Which is yeah. like always interesting, like when Mel Brooks, like because we looked at it a lot with like Mel Brooks, um, where like if you like look at the opening of Blazing Saddles, um, mm -hmm. it's like this big sweeping score. And then like you're going through the desert and all of a sudden you see the orchestra. Right, right. Yeah, yeah they can play with it like that. Um, but yeah, I think, and I think musicals are like a, a really interesting way to look at how that's used. Cause a lot, I think a lot of musicals employ a combination of diegetic mm -hmm. and non-diegetic songs music within a show because a lot of them make use of performance within mm -hmm. their within the the story of the of the show like cabaret like yeah. uh jukebox musicals yeah ju a lot of jukebox musicals written now i think i guess i'm trying to think of some of the early ones i mean jersey boys definitely where it's like um you know the the singer the the plot is about the the musicians uh, who right. made the song so it goes but then you also story. have moments where bob gaudio is talking about um his his first time having sex mm -hmm. and then he starts singing oh what a night so right. <laughs> that's a total like breakout into song number yeah 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 so like you have those moments in in jersey boys where it's like yeah they're in the recording studio recording sherry Right. And then, yeah, and then you have the breakout to number or when um, Frankie Valli's daughter dies, um, they, uh, they, he, he sings a song, one of the Four Seasons songs. I mean, even in shows where we don't think of them as jukebox musicals, that these, these kind of moments exist and, and, uh, but oftentimes, but different from a jukebox musical, those songs are written for mm -hmm. the the sh the show itself they're not usually not taken out uh or, or not like a pop song that was you know that is put in and being worked into the musical like a jukebox right. musical is like uh another example that comes to mind is in bye bye birdie mm -hmm. and they have conrad birdie who is a singer and he's singing these songs you know obviously that song is happening as a real song diegetically in that moment but it was written for the show and right. the song with lyrics and music that are specifically for that moment to fulfill the purpose of of the song like in that moment like honestly sincere mm -hmm. you know something like that yeah and that's oh, oh yeah one last kiss yeah year. one last kiss yeah i liked very much how oklahoma the, the Daniel Fish revival mm -hmm. played around with that by turning Farmer and the Cowman from uh... a, a diegetic song to a non-diegetic, or ugh, I'm going to mix those up. From but, a, I know what you mean, from a non-diegetic yes. song to a diegetic song. Yeah, yeah. Right. Do, do you remember that moment? Did you get to see Oklahoma? I, I did see it, yeah. I've, I'm remembering it now that you mention yeah. it. And that thought didn't occur to me as much while I was watching it, but now like thinking back on it, because um, like in the yeah. original musical it's like it's it's literally about the farmers and the cowmen and the cowboys they're literally fighting and singing at each other yeah but in the daniel fish version um they're it's aren't they they're at a dance 
and like yeah i believe so singing it yeah it kind of turns into into that where everybody's fighting but it's still very much like in this world of like this is just the entertainment at the boxing (laughs) right now right and um well that yeah that revival was interesting and in that respect too because they put the band on the stage um and i think a lot of shows now play even more with like the blending of the diegetic and non-diegetic music because Mm -hmm. a lot more shows will have a band on stage um you know instead Mm -hmm. of a instead of in a pit uh for various reasons uh so they can play around a little more with that the blending of those things yeah, let's talk about plays, plays versus plays with songs versus musicals. Yeah, because that's definitely uh, you are the musical theater writer <laughs> here. So, were yeah. you, was that ever anything that was addressed in in your training? Well, so I think like we never. I don't think we ever like studied studied specifically like plays that had music in it. But we definitely would talk about like maybe the diff maybe the difference of like what like why a musical was a musical as opposed to like a song in a play doing something um and i think it was more about and again like lines get blurry in a lot of plays too there's definitely plays with music that feel a lot like musicals and sometimes i call them musicals if i feel like they're more like musicals but but in a musical it'd be more like the songs are really what's kind of driving the action of the story and the songs are serving a function to move the plot forward or and develop character um whereas like a song in a play would not be would ha- maybe be providing some sort of function but it wouldn't be doing like as much of the heavy lifting for the show right. as the songs would be doing in a musical it's kind of how like i would think of it um no i'm thinking of a show like um like one of my favorite plays of all time is indecent by paula vogel mm-hmm. and there's lots of musical numbers in that show yeah. um, i think those musical numbers do drive the plot especially if we're looking at the plot as like the history of yiddish theater right but you're right there there really isn't they're very much like like katrina lank's character I mean, but also, like, the, the characters are playing a million different characters in that show. Um, but no, like, they're not singing songs as part of character development. They're very much, like, interlude songs mm-hmm. to kind of, like, just, like, kind of, like, show the passing of history. And then, like, by the end of it, where we where we have that moment um, and you hear Oklahoma, like, the, the uh, there's that moment in the show where they play the theme to Oklahoma, uh, the, the title song of Oklahoma, and you realize, like, okay, Yiddish theater is done, mm-hmm. and it's now turned over into Americana. Right, right. Um, but, but then I also look at, I look at, um, and this is not one I saw live, but I saw the film version of it, but Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. Mm-hmm. I mean, how is that not a musical? It's a told-in-real-time show of a performance of uh, Billie Holiday. And... Um, just like kind of her with her with her demons and her addictions and her relationship with her band and obviously it's most well known as uh, the show that kind of like gave Audra her another one of her Tonys and everything but yeah it's a it's a concert 
Um, but there's like a plot to it yeah. and there's dialogue. Um, so it's, it's, and I, and I also look, and this is not one I, I, I just, this is one I kind of just remembered, but oh, what was that Judy Garland one? Oh, uh, End of the Rainbow. Oh, okay. Which is like another one where it's like, it's a, it's a biographical play, but it also has musical numbers in it. So like, yeah, where do we draw the line of like, is it a musical? And especially like, okay, if we're going to say, and again, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Beautiful, so I don't know, or I haven't seen Ain't Too Proud, so I don't know if there's any numbers that break out into song. But if it's just going to be, well, if they're not, if, if it's only, if, if they don't break out into a song and it's only like performances, then it's not a musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess. Yeah, it is an interesting question because like how you're describing Lady Day, how is that like, yeah, how is that really different from Jersey Boys, it mm. seems like? Which, I mean, I think the only reason that it would be different than Jersey Boys is, yeah, there are a couple numbers that are done outside of a performance. In Jersey Boys. That are just, in yeah. Jersey Boys, there are, there are num- like I said, there's that number where um, it's not them performing or recording Oh What a right. Night. It's Oh What a Night is the... The basically narrating Bob Gaudio's sexual awakening. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely lines get blurry there. And because because we have this, like, kind of new form of... Not new... It's not new form. But we have the... We have this form of, you know, jukebox musical that... That we can kind of have a story of, a, of an artist uh, or a group you know, told through their songs, and it's, you know, the, and I guess not having seen Lady Day, like, are the, like, how much of those songs are driving whatever, what the story that they're telling forward, or is it, like, she's doing the concert, and there's another it's, it's plot happening. she's doing the concert, yeah, and you just see, like, it's all just performance that you're seeing the character mm-hmm. be dri- being driven, but, like, it is very much like, okay, now we're going to sing a song and now we're going to learn more about character development, mm-hmm. but now we're going to do a song kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it sounds like, yeah, then you can make the case like for that as a play with, with the songs, but, or like a concert with a plot or, you know. Does it come down to how stuff's marketed? Right. Um, yeah. Some Broadway houses are just musical houses. Some are just for plays. Like, mm-hmm. Or a, it, or a musical with a small band on the stage. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other, like, other plays that really pushed. I, there was one, I think, called Quorum Boy, which I also didn't see. Mm-hmm. That, yes, I remember hearing about that one. That also kind of blurred these lines. Um, and But yeah, but I think another point we were talking about was that, you know, a lot of these plays get nominated for mm-hmm. original score in Tony, for the Tony Awards certain years when there aren't as many uh, original score musicals to nominate. Yeah, I mean, Peter Starcatcher got nominated for Best Original Score. Right, I forgot about that. So the 2012 Tony Awards, Newsies won for best original score. Um, and then Bonnie and Clyde was nominated 
And then the two the two other nominees that year were plays. So mm-hmm. One Man, Two Governors and Peter and the Starcatcher. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and do you remember One Man, Two Governors? I didn't see it. Um, I watched, I watched, when they did the National Theater at home, I got to watch it. And the songs in it are basically like in between scenes while they're like changing the set. There's like a little band that comes out mm-hmm. and sings like British pops, like a British pop song. Because the, the in 2012, the musical, the best musical was Once. And that wouldn't have been right. that wouldn't have been eligible, right? Because um, it was it was um, based on the film and everything. Um, and I don't think they wrote any new songs for that. Yeah, which, and then this kind of gets into my another question about this is like, aren't those still original songs that they mm-hmm. wrote for a story that is now just on the stage, whereas like. In in a mu- is that's still a musical form, whereas like more so than like a than a play that has mm-hmm. music in it, you know. This year, um, obviously, a bunch of shows did not open. Um, that would have been eligible, right. but um, this year, um, the the five nominees for best original score are all from plays. So you have a Christmas Carol, you have the Inheritance, the Rose Tattoo, Slave Play, and the Sound Inside. Mm-hmm. And there was only one musical that would have been eligible, and that would have been the Lightning Thief. It's the whole uh, the whole practice I think with this category is 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 odd, and and it just calls into question how they are how they are con- thinking about what a score is. Um, right. And you know, a score for a play, as we've been talking about, is very different from a score for a mm-hmm. musical, and. Uh, you know, if they yeah. if they have a category for musicals, best musical, and a category for best play, it it is not clear to me why they would combine. <laughs> What's also interesting about this uh, this practice, I guess, of uh, nominating uh, play scores in the original score category was, uh, I don't know if this was the first one or not but a very uh, a earlier one was that was nominated was 12th night mm. uh, uh the, the score for 12th night by janine tesori who oh which which 12th uh, night was that so this was in 1999 okay uh, uh, that was the um Helen Hunt and yeah. um, uh paul paul rudd one yeah lincoln center and um that was the year Parade one and other mm-hmm. scores that were nominated were the Civil War and Footloose. Again, I'm not positive this is the first one, but an earlier one, one of the yeah. earliest ones, was by a musical theater composer. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year, um, uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird was nominated, and that was Adam Gettle. Um, right. But I know him and Bartlett Share. They work together. They've worked together in the past. And... Right. So yeah, you do again like more blurred lines. You do get these musical I know theater. Fences comp- was too. Which one? Fences was too, and that was that was uh, written by Branford Marsalis. What year was that? Uh, that was. Um, uh, oh, uh, I see 2010. it. Twenty ten. Yeah, um, Branford Marsalis. He's a he's a um, a jazz musician. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, sometimes you get these, you know musical theater composers doing play scores and 
Um, but again, like it's, it's the question of like, what is a score versus what is a, you know, a score for a play, you know, what is the score for a musical versus what is the score for a play? And like, how are those different? This, this made me think like a little more, like little broadly, more broadly about, um, just like how songs are used in like all kinds of storytelling, I guess, like movies and, Mm -hmm. um, TV and um, since we're talking about like just kind of that in you know with plays and musicals but just thinking more broadly about it and just how there's been a lot of uh, I guess stories or shows recently TV shows and movies recently that have really used music um, kind of more than in the past like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and uh, Glee and and Glee and um, the newest Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist mm-hmm. and all that. Um, so, but I think now we're seeing a lot more shows. I guess brought brought on by Glee, ten year over a little over ten years ago. Like mm-hmm. also doing shows and the lines there being blurred. Like you know what's you know and especially now more with a film like there's more like why are they singing well we have to have a reason you know right and and if you look at something like um like cabaret Mm -hmm. um the film version of cabaret um it basically took out the only songs in cabaret in the film version of cabaret are the diegetic songs Mm. in in the kit kat club right it cuts out any non-diegetic music so perfectly marvelous um um, any of like the duets between Fraulein Schneider and Herr Schultz are cut right. out. Um, it is only it, and I mean, it's. I mean, like, was that was that a choice? Because because I mean, if you look at when Cabaret came out, like that was Easy Rider and um, The Godfather Part Two and or or like the God the first two Godfather movies. So it mm-hmm. was a seri- It was a time for serious cinema. Right. And was like this kind of being like, well, we don't want to just be Oliver or West Side Story. Right. We want to be, we want to be serious. So no, we cannot have numbers where people break out into song. Um, yeah. And even, I, even with the Chicago film. Yeah, I was going to say, Chicago I was thinking to, about Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Like Chicago, you had to, um, you had to um, explain it by, okay, why do they sing? It's because it's in Roxy's head. Right. They had to figure out the, I remember that conversation around the film at the time. Like we have to figure out the conceit, you know, what's, why are they singing? Right. And then, okay. When, what year did that Chicago film come out? I want to say it was 2001. It was, I think it was 2002 or yeah. So around then. Yep. 2002. And then Hairspray and Sweeney Todd came out in 2007. So Mm -hmm. it was only five years later where like, we were just like, no, doesn't matter. They could just (laughs) sing. Yeah. 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 And then like five years after that, that you had Les Mis where, or yeah. When did Rent come out? Oh, Rent. Uh, I want to say like 2000. 2005. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, only three years after Chicago, I think they were just like, yeah, let's just, let's just make it work. Right. Like, well, cause then with, with a lot of those shows, like there's no way to do it otherwise. Like, like there's no, like in Sweeney Todd, there's no. I want to. I want to say there's no diegetic songs in that, in that show. Um, not in the film, at least. There's like a couple of songs, 
um, where like, I don't know, like it's, it's like a couple like little parlor songs that the Beatles sings on the piano. Right, right. Or I guess you could kind of say, no. Yeah, because no, um, I was going to say maybe like when Pirelli's introduced, but... Yeah, but yeah really no, like... it's yeah, that's still like a song that would normally like in non-musical world not be right. sung. But yeah, like yeah, so they were kind of like, well, we want to make these musicals, but there's no like we ha- there's no alternative. <laughs> All right. So for our next section, why is this so good? We are going to be talking about The Blame from Titan the musical Titanic. Uh why did you why did you pick this song for why is this so good? Um, I just, I love Titanic the musical and I, um, I've, so I've never seen a professional production of it. My, the only time I've ever seen a production of Titanic the musical, uh, was a high school production. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, yes, this high school had a very big budget, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah, I mean, I just loved, I just loved the show and, um, uh, Titanic should not be the, the tragedy of of the Titanic should not work as a musical but i thought it did so well and mm-hmm. and i and i i mean from what i remembered like it was pretty successful too like it ran for a while and it got some really great uh i think it, it got some did it win did it, it win it, um... it won best musicals if i recall correctly i saw yes. it i saw it on broadway um with my high school we had a high school trip mm-hmm. to see it um and uh yeah i so it's been a while since i've seen it um mm-hmm. this was back in i guess what was it 98 99 that or 90 in 99 um, um it, 97 oh okay sorry so yes. i guess so it was back in 97 um right because the movie was also 97 yeah i and it's and it's amazing that like they both came out wait, they made a musical out of Titanic with Jack and Rose? Right. I'm like, no, no, not at it's all. It's very, it's, it's so interesting that that happened because I feel like yes. that could never happen today. Right. Um, with, with the, like, with a, uh, two stories coming out at the same time, like one mm-hmm. big movie and one big musical about the same thing. I don't know. I just, I just can't see it. But, but yeah, I, I, I compared this show to, I, I compare the show a lot to Ragtime because I think both, I mean, I, both of them have amazing opening numbers, mm-hmm. but like That's true. There, there's really no, the main character is really the ship. Right. Where like in Ragtime, the main character is the era. Right. That's a really good point. I love that. Like Ragtime is very much like, it's not, I don't think it's Mother's story. I don't think it's just Cole House's story mm-hmm. or Tato's story. Um, same with uh, Titanic. It's not really Mr. Andrew's story. It's not really, right. um, 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 uh, I can't remember his name right now, but the one that Brian Darcy James, the, 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 uh, he worked in the, in the steamer. Barrett. Frederick Barrett. That was his name. Yeah. The, the Stoker. Stoker, yes. One of my favorite songs in it too is um, it's at the start of um, Act Two. It's called "Dress in Your Pajamas in the Grand Salon," which is just all about like the first. It's basically about all these people like being really pissed that they are having to Uh, wake up. I vaguely remember that. Yes, as a thing. And that and like the end of the song is so great because like all of a sudden they see like they're singing the song and they're they're fighting with the crew. Uh, it's basically like the first class passengers fighting with the crew about why are you waking me up? And then at the end of the song, all of a sudden 
you see a piece of furniture like slide across the stage oh yeah to signify that yes we are sinking yeah and i was gonna say not a song but i remember the boat sinking (laughs) yes yes (laughs) which i guess Uh, this the blame is is probably it since i don't remember exactly but i'm assuming the blame happens around that that time of in the show right so the blame happens towards the beginning of act two Mm -hmm. and it's a scene between um mr ismay who was the owner of the ship um yeah ismay um he was the director of the white star line which is the titanic was one of the boats on the white star line Mm -hmm. and in the original production it was played by david garrison who i think most people more know now as one of the more notable replacements as the wizard in wicked oh yeah um so it's it's mr ismay it's thomas andrews uh who was played by michael serverus who is the designer of the ship and it was um the captain uh captain ej smith who was played by john cunningham so basically it's these two characters figuring out who to blame for what's happening the two characters being ismay i'm sorry three characters three characters okay ismay smith and andrews right so Smith is being blamed, of course, as the captain of the ship. Right. Um, Andrews is being blamed because why would you design the ship Yeah. if it's going to sink? Right. And Ismay, Ismay is very much a character throughout the whole musical, especially in Act 1. He's, we can go faster, right? <laughs> like, why can't we just go faster? Right. So he's like, the one that's pushing that along. Yeah. Yes. This song reminds me of uh, the song from into the woods where they're going through the blame yeah. uh, mm-hmm. oh my gosh what's it called um your uh your fault. your fault yeah it's because of you there's a giant in our midst and my wife is dead but it isn't my fault i was given those beans you persuaded me to trade away my cow for beans and without those beans there'd have been no stock to get up to the giants in the first place wait a minute magic beans for a cow so old that you had to tell a lie to sell it which you told were they worthless beans were they oversold oh and tell us who persuaded you to steal that gold is it your fault no so it's your fault no yes it is it's not it's true wait a minute but i only stole the gold to get my cow back from you so it's your fault yeah no it is i feel like in that uh song nothing is really resolved in terms of like whose fault it is. And that's kind of the point of that song. And then the witch takes it from there. But in this song, because it goes right into the last minute, right? But in this song, they're trying to assign blame. And then the captain basically takes the blame. Right. (laughs) Even though, you know, even though it is, you know, a lot of people, a lot of different things, but he's like, I, he, he takes responsibility for it as captain. Um, which, you know, is like a moral, I guess, a moral thing to do that uh, the characters in Into the Woods were not capable of at that time <laughs> in the show. Right. And I think um, I'm, I'm always very curious of like why they chose to make this a song. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Because it, it's not a song for a musical. Right. Like, I, it, it also kind of reminds me of the confrontation in Les Mis, mm-hmm. where it's just, it's, I mean, it's basically it's a confrontation. But, like, that makes sense because it's a song through a musical. Right. Um, and it's also not one of those, it's, a, it's not one of those songs where it's, like, the, the winner of the song is who sings louder kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, and it's, all, it's a lot about, it's a lot about these men trying to hold on to hope. 
Yeah, I mean, you hear, you see that a lot in the lyrics, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the whole, the, it, it really starts out with um, Ismay saying, possibly she won't go down, possibly she'll stay afloat, possibly all, could, all this could come to an end on a positive note. Possibly she won't go down, possibly she'll stay afloat. Possibly all this could come to an end on a positive note. Not unless the ship could fly. Not unless we all sprout wings. Honestly, sir, I have built her from scratch, and I know certain things. But I mean, Andrews is very much, he's like, not unless the ship could fly, not unless we all sprout wings. Honestly, I have heard, I, honestly, sir, I have built her from scratch, and I know so certain things. Yeah. Um, and then Ismay goes into, like, well, if you knew all this, what did you do to prevent it? Right. Um, and and then Andrews comes back as, like, well, you're the one that told us to make the straight rooms bigger and mm. make less room for the boats, for the lifeboats. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's basically, like, the characters going through the process of like first there's denial yeah like it's not my fault it's not my fault i i it's you're the one that you know you're the one that did this to kind of like actually i could have done not all of that but you know to actually i could have i i'm responsible in these situations it's like if everybody just talked to each other and like had right. a conversation about what was possible, you know, I mean, maybe they tried to, you know, but it's, yeah. And you kind of like, I think through this lyric with all those things happening, like you see how this situation got out of control. If you know so much, why didn't you know to prevent this? What's to become of us all now that Providence sent this? This is your work, Mr. Andrews. You have done us in. Where's her Negro Montez? Where's her double skin? That's your job if someone must take the blame. It is you. You. It's, it's, it's these three... It's these three clashing egos. Mm-hmm. And, and especially when you look at them, too, at the beginning of the show. And it's like, they're just so idealistic. And, like, these three characters at the beginning, in the opening number, are, like, basically patting themselves on the back. Like, good job, Mr. Andrew, for building such a beautiful ship. Well, good job, Mr. Ismay, because you own the ship. And, oh, Captain Smith, aren't you so proud to be owning, uh, uh, steering this ship? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm so fascinated with that musical and just like, we know how it ends. There's no other way to, um, like, this is, and and, the, and it's like, I guess the closest thing to a protagonist in the show might be Mr. Andrews, because he opens the show basically talking about the ambition of human ingenuity mm-hmm. with this ship. Um, and then it goes into the big number. But... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess it's hard to watch that show and not really like, not really hope that history changes. Right. It is an interesting question. Like, why do people keep coming back to Titanic as like you know, yeah. as like a story? 
And it's like, but it is the question of like, how could this have happened? Yeah. You know, well, it's the same thing. Why do we keep telling the story of Icarus? We know that he's going to get too close to the sun mm-hmm. and his, his wings are going to burn up. I think what we're more interested in is it's a cautionary tale. We want to yeah. learn. We want to learn from the mistakes of these these uh, foolhardy, ambitious men. Right. And you see it in this in this song right here. I mean, this is I mean, I think you know, why this song works so well is that this is the song that delves into why we are that question, why we're coming to this story, you know, like that, how, how did this happen? And Mm -hmm. they're going through that. This is how, like this, this conversation, this is how it happened. (laughs) Right. This is how it happened. We could never, we, yeah, it's, oh, it's so, it's, I mean, and what... it's like it's they get to it's and you almost want to like shake them and just be like, it's sinking. What does it matter <laughs> whose fault it is? Right. Yeah. And just like the the constant deflection. I love that line from Andrews um, when Ismay is kind of, you know, going into him about couldn't you design it right? Like whoever yeah. heard of steel that rips and he just deflects it to God. It's, I, yeah, I built it's, it, I, I but build God sunk it's God it. who sinks them, yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm in the business of building, it's God who sinks ships. Possibly a ship will come. Possibly we'll all be saved. Damn it, so listen, we're hemorrhaging fast. It's our hull that's been saved. Couldn't you design it right? Whoever heard of steel that rips? Ismay, I'm just in the business of building. It's God who sinks ships. It, which feels so familiar to, you know, when people deflect in any crisis, you know, like if God, if, if, if God you know, once wanted it, you know, and it's a, as a way of like deflecting personal responsibility. And you see that in here um, in such a great lyric concise lyric and um do you think this would have been as impactful if it was just a book scene you know it's funny i think i think it would have because it is an impactful moment but Mm -hmm. i think because it's such an important moment and this is a musical it has to like it it works that it's sung and i'm i'm glad that they I think this is a tricky moment then to get right as a song. And I'm glad that Maury Estin, who wrote this score, was able right. to... And, and uh, 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 Peter Stone, who wrote the book, I mean, obviously had a hand in it as well. But mm-hmm. I'm glad that they were able to, you know, figure out how to make it work as a song. Because for these important moments like this, I mean, the fact that it is a song... And, is is important i think for the overall score and storytelling of the show and how do you feel about the building of the the building of the of like musically how do you think it like how do you feel about it like yeah i was thinking about that too like the accompaniment is so important in this i think because it's so it has like it it definitely builds like it starts out very Mm -hmm. it's always like that kind of busy figure which yes. is like feels like this undercurrent of anxiety like they 
they know this is bad. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but there's, you know, they're at the point where they're still, it's the calm before the, the, you know, the, you know, disaster. And, uh, so there's, you know, it's still like, oh, like we're still sitting in this room and nothing bad has happened yet. Maybe it won't happen, but like, they know it's going to happen. It's that dread, mm-hmm. um, that I keep, coming back to I think I talked a lot about in the horror music horror musical episode that that sense of dread yeah. that you know something bad we know something bad is going to happen and what do you do about that in this moment and I think the music with that mm-hmm. that figure that that fast figure really helps kind of like build that dread and anxiety of of that since they they're they're trying to talk it away but they know and yeah and you're right then it does build um, musically, um, cause they're at, then they start getting more accusatory, you know, their anger is coming out and all that. Well, there's a moment where they literally, the lyrics are literally, you did it, you did it, yeah. you did it, you did it. Yeah. Yeah. Who called for speed and to break every record? Who had to keep all the millionaires happy? How dare you, Smith? I will not stand here indicted. Who ignored warnings of icebergs when sighted? Who, sir, refused to extend up the mountains? You, sir, to give the first class bigger staterooms? And who undermined the position of captain? And who took the course to far north for the season? And who kept insisting we land ever sooner? And who should have imposed on our towns and villages that pocket it? It builds to that like accusatory moment, which I think, you know, the song could end there, but it wouldn't be as good of a song. And um, which is how your fault ends, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and but then it comes down from there to the captain assuming that responsibility a little more calmly as a captain mm-hmm. would, you know, he like you get that character of the captain there. Possibly he will provide And indicate how our unthinkable fate Can be somehow denied Somehow denied Your work no one else says My doing no one else says There's only one captain and I was in charge this is my ship no one else says yeah I just, I, I just really hope Titanic comes back one day. I would like to see that live on stage in a in a nice big professional production. Yeah, great. Well, then let's move on to our final section, something wonderful, where we just, uh, where we just talk about, you know, something in the musical theater world that we're excited about or want to give a shout out to. 
Yeah, so I mean, something that I just watched pretty recently. Um, I don't know. I mean, it says it was a 2019 film, um, but I, I just saw it for the first time, and mm-hmm. I think it's, it was pretty new to PBS. But I got to catch up with um, the documentary Fiddler, Miracle of Miracles. Oh, I, I actually, I saw that in the movie theater, uh, I guess it was last year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I, I think it kind of, I think it did just premiere on PBS, and it's now yeah. available to stream on, pre- uh, stream on PBS, but I loved it. And it's it's such a really fantastic musical, just about, yes, it's about the history of the show, and like, um, just the, the different ways it went through. And mm-hmm. I'm like, how has nobody written a musical about Jerome Robbins's life? Because mm. he just seems like a, such a very interesting figure. Um, or maybe not a musical. I'd, I'd almost like to see um, like the Fosse Verdon treatment mm, yeah, uh, just yeah. about Jerome Robbins. Um, Cause they go into his whole, um, like what was like, a, he named names to the HUAC committee. Right. And, um, yeah. But yeah, it goes into like the history of Fiddler and its development. And then just like, why is it so lasting and why why is it done like why was it so j- successful in jap in japan and right um i and and it's it's very focused on a lot of the footage and a lot of the interviews were from the most recent revival of it right and, and from the yiddish one and from the yiddish one too um but yeah I, I just thought it was beautiful and i mean i walked out of it or i i, I after watching it here, I was very much like, is this like the best musical ever? Because it's like, <laughs> like Fiddler just feels like I one mean, of those shows that like, are we going to be performing it at yeah. the end of the world? I read the book yes. Wonder of Wonders, which the documentary takes a lot of stuff from that book. Um, so I definitely recommend the Wonder of Wonders uh, book about Fiddler um as like an d- even deeper dive into fiddler on the roof i mean i'm very excited for a strange loop mm-hmm. um i mean the, i guess the plan is still a woolly mammoth production and then transfer to broadway we hope yeah um i mean and i know they announced um i believe it was chicago for the tryout of uh, the devil wears prada musical oh right yeah yeah um, with beth level and taylor Ramon jones uh, I believe the score is Elton John mm-hmm. and, and Shana, Shana Top, yeah. which I'm very, very excited about. Um, um, this is a musical that I know they did a reading of it back in 2018 at Ars Nova, but Stephen Trask is working on a King of Comedy musical. Right. Um, and I love that movie. I think that's one of my favorite Martin Scorsese films. I can't even imagine how that would work as a musical, which means I would love to... I don't to... know either. Yeah, I would like, love to Stephen see Trask what they... just sounds like such a... Yeah. Such a... I mean, all I really know about Stephen Trask is um, Hedwig. Hedwig. So. Yeah, and I know he's done some other... Uh, he had that other show... Uh, what was it? At the Atlantic? Last thing, I am very excited about the Once on this Island movie. Oh. that Disney is, is talking about making. Yeah. Um, specifically because Jocelyn Bio wrote the, is writing for it. Yeah. Um, and I just listened to um, the, the Broadway Black podcast um, had uh, Jocelyn pop on real quick to um, uh, the Broadway Black podcast um, uh, off book. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, they had Jocelyn uh, just kind of like talk about if I'm going to write this, I got to, we're, we're going to change some things about this show. Right. And as, as far as I've heard, a lot of those changes have been approved and now it's just hmm. being where it happens next. Interesting. Um, but yeah, Jocelyn Bio is one of my favorite playwrights. 
And um, I'm very curious to see what Once on this Island, the movie turns into. Nice, me too. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scenetosong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater. Or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at Scene2Song, and on Facebook at Scene2Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.